Hello and welcome back to the Dakota Student Podcast. I'm your host, and as always, I'm joined with Claire and Ben. How are you guys doing today? So the first thing we got to talk about, especially since it's so relevant to our situation, is the J&J vaccine suspension due to, what was it, blood clot? There's been six rare blood clots, which basically the FDA has has suspended has suspended uh, at the administration of it. Um, UND literally sent out an email about 20 minutes ago saying mm-hmm. students that had appointments uh, with um, the J&J will now be, they're going to be contacted about receiving the Pfizer vaccine instead. Mm-hmm. Sounds like UND voluntarily decided to stop using J&J for now, but it's not like a nationwide poll of it yet, but that remains to be seen. I mean, J&J wasn't my personal choice. I got my first dose of Pfizer um, this past weekend. That was my, I purposely made sure I got Pfizer. I didn't want the J&J just from what I had read online. But um, then again, internet's not always the most trustworthy source and no one can predict long-term impacts of any of the vaccines just because, you know, that's not, this is totally new for everyone. But J&J never sat well with me simply because it was one dose, but who knows? Who knows? I'll say this, though. I'm very glad, though, that the uh, CDC and FDA went, were very swift in this uh, suspending at uh, the dosage where they aren't waiting. Yep, they had these six um, incidences and immediately halted it because they were all reporting very similar. Yes, they said it. it's like one, it's like 0.1 or what, it's like 1%, I believe. Yes, it's still minor, but they're they're watching these very carefully to make sure um, that this can be resolved. Mm. So I'm I'm definitely glad that the that the CDC and FDA are, are following their guidance of what they said all these vaccines of. If there's an issue with it, they're going to be suspending it, and um, it just pro- it the one thing it does is it it, it shows that the FDA is, is not being gentle with these vaccines. They're holding them to the same standards that they would for any other vaccine. Well, I'm it's curious. Good. To see. It's good to see someone actually following through with what they're going to say they're going to do if potential issues arise. The follow through seems to be lacking in so many areas of uh, American public culture. So that's a pleasant surprise. Yeah. I'm I'm curious to see if anything else will arise from other vaccines, you know. It's I don't think it's a J&J exclusive issue. I feel like there's definitely going to be some issues arising from Pfizer and Moderna that we don't know about. Um in other news, North Dakota has experienced its driest January through March in the last 126 years according to nidisdrought.gov and their Twitter account. That's kind of scary. I don't. I know California is having some dry years as well. I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be one of their driest this up this year. Yeah, yeah my dad works in agriculture, and um, it's definitely going to have some long term effects. I mean, with it, I don't, Mason, are you back in Grand Forks? I am. Okay, yeah. So you see the snow. <laughs> yeah, the snow and the rains actually. Good. I mean, no one wants it to snow. It'd be better if it was rain, but people are just taking what they can get moisture-wise right now. So it's actually good news that we got some snow. Good. Yeah, it didn't I, really bother me. I don't leave the house. <laughs> yeah, I have. I, I remember coming across this a few days ago, and it was like, wow. Because usually, we, 
like I, I, I remember we see something, at least something about the Grand Forks flooding, and you look this year and the River Daniel Ice Watch. Um, mm-hmm. So, you, and you think about it, uh, one in 2020, they were expecting it to be almost, um, it was one of the worst floods in history. I mean, of uh, the water level high, and now it's, I don't even think it reached uh, where we, the uh, stages where we even have to worry about it this year. I don't think it did either. Uh, I'm just pulling up the data right now to see what even the river's at. Uh, While he's doing that, uh, Claire, you mentioned, yeah, I am back in Grand Forks, and I noticed a couple of things in my uh, drive-in, mm-hmm. specifically driving down University. Uh, Nistler, you know how we were discussing that last time? Yeah. It is in the spot that we thought it was, and it is already well underway. I did not realize how much of that has been built, but yeah, it has been cranked out. Mm-hmm. I'll have to I, I guess I'm not on campus very much myself, and when I do, I don't really take University Ave. I just skirt to Columbia, so yeah. Another thing I noticed was uh, Frat Row. It was popping. I could feel the bass from inside my car, and I didn't see a single mask. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I honestly had some culture shock when I went to my hometown and no one was wearing masks. Like, you know what? I complain people not wearing their masks in Grand Forks, but um, I guess I didn't realize it because so much, so many people wear their masks because of the university mask mandate on campus. So that has translated to lots of people wearing their masks out in public outside of campus. But then when I went home, I was like, oh my gosh, what are y'all doing? Um, so I can imagine it. Yeah. Frat row, I can't say is going to be the poster child for good mask etiquette. <laughs> I guess not. But going back to our, our water topic. Yes. So uh, at one year, one year ago, we're almost roughly to the date um, on April 10th, 2020, the, the water was at 47.7 feet. On April 10th of 2021, it was 16 and a half feet. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and currently, currently it's at 18 feet with um, the flood stage, if people don't remember, is at 28 feet. Mm-hmm. So you have to think about that. 16, well, we'll just call it 17 feet versus 47 feet. Mm-hmm. That's a massive amount of water. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah, and that's just and that's just height wise too, because I mean river width to get, you know, like cubic feet of water, that obviously goes into calculating. That's insane. I remember um I guess this is more of a question in general. How much of that gets um impacted by water levels in Canada. I remember uh, my hometown flooded back in 2011, and it partially flooded due to water mismanagement farther north in Canada that eventually made all of the water come at one time and flooded my hometown. So I don't know if that impacts us in any way, shape, or form. Um, I'm, I'm pulling up the Red River graph to see what the uh, gauges downstream look like. Uh, so, for example, Oslo last year, we were, if we were, I don't know if you guys, if you remember, had that there, that major flooding where they basically became an island. Yeah. Um, they had 38 feet of water. Um, 
this year they only had about um, seven and a half feet of water at the same time. Um, I will say this though, looking at these numbers, the upper, the higher up on the river we go, the higher actually the water level is. So I, I want, I do wonder if, um, I believe it's a dam in Canada where this water all ends up, um, is high, must have a uh, higher water level now than what um, it has been in the last little bit. Mm -hmm. I think the drainage basin basically like starts in Canada and trickles farther south. That's my understanding of it, but yeah. Well, the, this river flows into Canada, not out. Wait, what? Yes. What? The Red River. Dude, I've lived in the state my entire life. How the heck do I not know this? Yeah, so it ends up. It basically it empties into Lake Winnipeg. What? I feel so betrayed by this knowledge. How did I not know this? This is literally like my dumb blonde moment. For uh, this is the only allotted moment I get to be a dumb blonde. What the heck? I hate that. It's not what God intended. It's not supposed to run opposite direction. So there you go. One thing you didn't know, but yeah, it's kind of crazy to think about it. That you you think about in last in the last three years, um, and how much that how bad the weather has been compared to like considering how much snow and rain and stuff. And then you look at this year, how dry it's been, and you don't. It's kind of the it's like the extremes of the weather for Grand Forks. And now I think, wait, have you guys, you guys have got what, like three inches of snow this past little snowstorm? Yeah, probably about. Just kind of amazing. It's amazing how it can go from, you know, massive amounts of water one year to one of the driest years in over a century the next. Pretty amazing. And some world news. I don't know how much you guys keep up with the royal family, but Prince Philip died. I'm sure you, all of you have heard. Mm-hmm. The memes about the Spotify playlist of songs that would <laughs> kill Prince Philip. Those are funny. And now it's like songs that did kill. Ah, guys, no. <laughs> One thing I was looking at, I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, the Queen has been through around 14 presidents. Mm -hmm. That's just wild to think about. Well, she's been... Um, the queen since 1952 yep. 1952 so you, you have to think about that most people for most people who in the last half a century they've only known the queen of england yep it's wild i don't know it's some crazy stuff yes, the prince charles the queen's immortal let's be real here. yeah she might be do you think prince charles that's the you know first in line right her son um, um I believe it's Prince yes, Charles. Char Prince Charles is the is the next in line. Do you think he ever gets like mad? <laughs> that sounds really bad and terrible to think about, you know, but waiting he, for the queen to die? He's, he's only gonna be king for you know, not long. He's he's an old guy himself. He's 72. Yeah. And the queen is uh 94. I guess if he lives as long as his dad did, he's got some years, but I don't know. That is really terrible to think about, though. I doubt he ever thinks, man, I hope my mother would die, but maybe he's different. It's pretty amazing when you think about how um, you think of like other countries where these, these high heads of state are in a, are in this position for only 
so many years at a time. Like uh, FDR is the longest ever president. I think it's like 12, 11 or 12 years. Mm-hmm. And she's been the queen since 1952. Hmm. I don't know. It's wild, man. Royal family. I don't, I honestly have gotten more familiar with it in the past couple of weeks than I've ever been, but I don't know. It's like the stuff. rise and in interest in the royal family always starts around royal weddings. So like William and Kate, what was that? Like 2010-ish? It doesn't matter. Whatever. Like 2010-ish range. Okay. Within two years of that, I'm sure either way. And then with, um, oh shoot. Meghan Markle and what's his, I just lost the other guy. Oh, Harry. No. Harry. Thank you. Harry and Meghan Markle getting married. And then the whole Oprah interview, I feel like we discussed that previously. Like that just adds more spotlight to them. But usually those royal weddings really kick off a renewed interest in the royal family. Mm-hmm. Well, I also uh, believe that, the ver- that Philip is the first person to pass away since Diana of the royal family. Really? I think you're right, because they yeah. are, I mean, they're they relatively immortal. small. Well, okay, yeah, they're immortal, but <laughs> relatively small royal family, too. So it's not like there's a ton of people that could have passed well, away from, like, old age, and there's such a high security detail, too. But Yes, because she died in 97. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, there's a little bit more before that. There was... Um, the Queen Mum in 2002. And then King Richard III. But he was just exhumed and reburied. So really, the last time there was a death was the Queen Mum in 2002. Um, and, then, and then today, in, 20, in 2021, of Prince Philip. So it's been a pretty long time since there was any uh, uh, loss of life in the royal family. Now we're moving from the royal family into some other world news. I I think this was pretty recently, right? Was this today that Japan approved the release of the Fukushima nuclear power plant water into the ocean? I I believe it's, it's been within the last 24 to 48 hours. Okay. Yeah, how long ago was that tsunami? 2011. So, yeah, 10 years. And they feel like it's ready to go or ready to release the plant water back in the ocean. Yeah, I, didn't look, uh, I didn't look too much into their, like, cleaning procedures, what they had to do with it. Ben, did you? Uh, I haven't. All I know is uh, they announced that they're going to release some 1 million tons of water from the reactor back into the ocean. Um, apparently this treated radioactive water has been storage in tanks since 2011 when the, uh, when the plant was destroyed and has been filtered to the international standards to release some water, uh, but won't happen for another two years, but you definitely need what got to think a million tons of water from that are supposedly clean but could still have radioactive traces. Do we still want that to go back in the water or do we want to have it just in storage forever? Um, honestly, 
So I'm going to do my interpretation based on history. There's been tons of nuclear tests in water. I shouldn't say tons. There's been multiple. And if, you know, I'm guessing those have severe effects, even more severe effects than the water they're planning on releasing. So I don't know. A million gallons, I'm sure they've treated it well. It's really a drop in the bucket. It's not a million gallons, Mason. It's a million tons. Oh, a million tons. It's incredibly different. Yeah, that is that is way different. Sorry. But let me look it up. Either way, I I don't know. We're we we aren't kind to our ocean in any sense. But I I guess I'd have to read up on how they're planning to release it into the ocean. Because like in theory, Mason, you're right, it is, you know quite literally a drop in the ocean in comparison to how much water is already in there. But remember we were talking about water desalinization, the California drought, like you can't just put all your salt back in the ocean. Yeah. Like how, at what location is this getting put back in? You'd also want to consider the temperature of the water. I, once again, I used to be chemical engineering and um, outlet temperature of putting wastewater, especially in like, lakes and streams is a really big deal because and you know a change in one degree can literally kill an entire ecosystem now the ocean isn't quite as fragile as you know a minnesotan lake river system but like you know let's let's not let's i don't i imagine they've put a lot of planning into this but i guess you'd want to make sure you've really covered all your bases if you if that's the most viable option to dispose of the water so if this, um, I believe that these are considered metric tons of water. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll, for that number, we'll just say that. Um, a million metric tons of water is 264 and change million, uh, million gallons of water. It's a lot. Yeah, it's just a, a couple of gallons of water. A few. Just, you know, imagine your milk jug that get the grocery store just, just a couple million of those <laughs> yeah it'll be interesting to see what the international reaction to this is especially considering it's been 10 years and yes they have done all this uh, treatment to it but is it what do all the rest of the countries think of this yeah it will be very interesting to see the international reaction I don't know it's Nuclear disasters are hard, you know. It's just look at Chernobyl. It's still a dead zone. One of my favorite UND professors, um, in my I had him for an accelerated gen chem course. Once again, I started in chemical engineering and he worked on the cleanup crew at Chernobyl and he just brought it up so casually. I was like, sir what it was so cool hearing about his experience with all that but i mean it sounded like a lot of people didn't even quite understand like the enormity of what they were doing and working on with this cleanup he said that there was like a you know soldier that basically stuck a spoon on his nose and like oh my gosh people are not always the brightest but his stories were incredibly interesting and all of that, but also kind of terrifying. Um, Cause like what Chernobyl was 85, 86, 86. 86 and apparently um, clean, the cleanup is again, finally supposed, apparently supposed to be completed in 2065. 
Exactly. Like how much should we understand how to clean up radioactive material in the eighties, much less how are we handling it now? And even that massive time, like what, that's 80 years. If you said 2065. Yeah. Like, Ooh, terrifying. We understand so little about our world and it's insane. I think it also is the fact that nuclear power, everyone wants to go to these cleaner forms of power, but you look at when they say nuclear is a cleaner thing, yet you look at when we have a disaster and how much more uh, destructive it is compared to, let's say, a coal plant explosion or a uh, gas generator explosion. When you look at a, a uh, nuclear power plant explosion, it takes a very long time just to get it done. Like there's a whole exclusion zone where um, they're, they're looking at where it could, where it's going to be like over three or 4,000 years before it, that place is habitable again. Think about that. You won't, you can't live there until 5,000 and something. Mm. Safely. I mean, and think about like a, a minor oil spill in comparison to that. Like, okay, that's human life in 5,000, you know, year 5,000. Like, that's insane. So that means that even like animal bacterial life cannot live there currently, you know? Like, what? <laughs> it's terrifying. Yes, and yes, they have put all these safeguards in place, but these all these safeguards that are there have all failed when all, all of these accidents have happened. So it'll definitely be, uh, well, it's definitely going to be something we'll, have, we'll watch with, um, will nu nuclear power be, phased out for other forms of power. Granted, it's used um, in many different countries. Some of them even have phase-out plans, but are we maybe thinking nuclear power isn't the best form for all circumstances? I don't know, Ben. I think nuclear power definitely has a place. I just don't think we're the best at it yet. If we continue to, you know, develop the ways we can harness nuclear power i think it holds awesome potentials you know so but yeah you're right the the nature of man humans i guess is to screw up we screw up a lot of stuff and you know it'd be silly to say that we won't screw up another nuclear power plant it will happen but who knows when and who knows how bad Yep, it'll be something where we'll just have to watch in the news of uh, when of what's happening. And the other the other thing you've also got to think about is the fuels that they use. They we we have to store them for so many hundreds of years before you can do anything with them. Very true. Because like even some of the newest fuels. Uh, I mean, some of the oldest fuels still have to sit in these uh, chambers that they've built for several hundred years before you can 
before their radiation is so is low enough to where you can actually be near it. Definitely going to be something that everyone will watch in the next few year, in the next few hundred years. I don't know what other, you know, I like solar. I don't really like wind. I could see solar doing well, but the only way I'd see that doing well, and this is similar to our discussion about the environment, you know, if if every person had solar panels on the roof, that's the only way I could see solar really having a difference. But that's a lot of money. Yeah. Solar is definitely not a cheap thing. And I think I think you're right. I think it's it's only gonna work if everyone uh uh if they it uses it. And and especially with the advances that we've seen with solar, who knows, maybe it'll just be like we talked about a little bit ago with those solar tiles, maybe everyone instead of uh uh, asphalt tile roof you use a solar tile roof yeah i don't know i mean something in general that i learned in engineering is there's so many possibilities of things that we can do to create alternative forms of energy or even just creating things in general but to make things cost viable to actually produce them for the general public and just at all even for you know, like a private company the cost is what drives so much of what we do. So yeah, maybe solar energy could technically be viable, but until it's available at a price that the average consumer can afford, it won't happen. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, Elon's on a good path trying to get that, you know, as affordable as it can be, the solar roof that is. But uh, I don't know. Definitely something we'll be watching in the next few years. Yes, sir. Yahoo Answers closes on May 4th. Yay. No. No. All right. Um, wow, you guys are really killing my vibe. <laughs> Yahoo Answers is a great spot if you want to get a variety of answers given out by a whole bunch of people who may or may not know whatever they're talking Did about. they release their reason why? Well, Yahoo Answers, though Yahoo Answers where it was once part a key part of Yahoo's products and services, it has become less popular over the years as seed numbers have changed. To that end, we have decided to shift our resources away from Yahoo just focus on products that better serve our members and deliver on Yahoo's promise of premium trusted content. Okay. So coming up actually in a few days, you're no longer going to be able to post any new questions or answers. But we are you will still be able to re, to view posts and questions and answers until May 4th. After May 4th, the site will shut down. Um, you do have the ability to download a copy of your questions and answers that you posted right time uh, on the website. And you're going to be able to do this until June 30th. After that, Yahoo Answers will officially no longer exist. Okay. That makes me so upset. As I said, I was too cheap to pay for Chegg for my first, oh gosh, like year of chemical engineering. And so I became a master at using the search engines to get what I needed to get. And Yahoo Answers really pulled through, really did, until you see answered a decade ago. Man, you haven't lived yet. It was the most beautiful moment of relief it was like ah yes someone 15 years ago struggled with this same stupid thing so 
Yeah, I think 15 or 16 years was the highest I ever saw. But as I said, just seeing answered a decade ago. Wow. <laughs> Beautiful. Mm. I love information on the internet. Wonderful yet horridious place. And I I always liked it because it was sometimes a place where you could just see people rant about stuff. It's like they they answer a question. Um like current like actually one of the very popular questions is so where do I go after Yahoo Answers shuts down? Reddit. Yeah, but do you get the same information on Reddit that you would on like Yahoo Answers? Probably around the similar. I don't know, man. Reddit's a magical place. You can find answers to lots of questions there. Reddit's also low-key terrifying. <laughs> oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. High key terrifying, actually, considering, you know, all the stock trading stuff has stepped out of that. Oh my gosh, the power they hold. But do we see that um Reddit kind of took over the whole uh Wall Street answers? The Wall Street's bets type thing? I mean, no, I'm I'm not saying that. It's more of um, do we think that uh, Yahoo Answers started its decline because Reddit started becoming uh, a much bigger platform and just there were more people going on Reddit than there were on Yahoo Answers? I think it was yeah. a combination of things, man. Like there's so many other services now that perform the same service that Yahoo Answers did, specifically mm-hmm. when it comes to school, you know, like Chegg and Brainly and all that type of stuff. It's it's an increasingly saturated market. It's hard to stay competitive. And this is my own opinion, but I feel like Yahoo has been in decline for years. I, I think their brand image has been in decline. I think the whole business has been in decline. I haven't seen any new innovative moves or interesting marketing tactics, nothing really from Yahoo. So I don't know. I just don't think they set themselves up well for the future. They didn't really plan ahead too well. No, but I... I guess with the whole Yahoo thing, like I totally agree, Mason, like marketing and image has not been their strong suit in recent years. However, I feel like getting rid of Yahoo Answers <laughs> makes me unhappy. So I guess I almost wish they'd pull like what with like what Vine did, how they like stopped allowing new content to be posted, but like you could still access it. Like I <sighs> yeah, like just archive all the stuff. You don't gotta like delete all of it. Like how big is it not to store and upkeep? Like, it cannot possibly be that bad. Like, this is a massive company. I feel like you can take a hit for my comfort. <laughs> I also, I, you also got to think that Yahoo used to be one of the bigger search engines and, and had a whole bunch of different uh, products that they serve. And I think the problem is with, all, with a lot of these was Google just took over every well they didn't take over everything but it, but they were just the much better alternative yeah google just did it better in nearly every sense from like for example you think of you think of bing who likes to use bing as a search engine I make uh, fun of people on bing as their set search right, engine. Don't, don't make fun of me i don't have a set in my search engine i use google for searching but i do use bing i for I what uh, I think it has a great selection of daily news, daily headlines that I should keep up to date with. And I also get Bing points and that's free Walmart money, you know? Bing points? Oh yeah. Since freshman year, I've probably gotten over $150 just from daily searches on Bing. What? That's not a lot of money, but it's money from doing searches. So 
Mason, this sounds like the same conversation we had where I chewed you out for having an Amazon credit card. Oh, maybe. I like saving money and I like getting money. <laughs> so, I don't know. It is interesting, though. So, so, so for example, I, t- I, just, I typed in Donald Trump in the first, in, into Bing and to Google. In Bing, the very first thing I get is news, opinion articles, a timeline, and the Donald J. Trump official website. In Google, I get the Google top stories, which you usually get, then the Donald Trump Wikipedia page, and then the Donald J. Trump website. I mean, I suppose there is, we, we've talked about like bias in different media outlets. So I suppose having different search engines is a good thing. I'll admit my bias is just using Google because it works and is fast and efficient. And I mean, there's lots of great like filtering that I'm just familiar with, but no, I suppose there obviously is bias in how those algorithms sort different search terms, I suppose, and what they bring up first. But I, I think, though, a lot of it is to deal with that some people like one versus the other. Like some of us have tried to use like Bing or uh, DuckDuckGo or whatever. What's the other ones? Um, There's that one like Eagle one that says they like every search not necessarily that each search plants a tree but you know something along oh, that yeah. line yeah was that like i forgot eco- the name of it Ooh. gosh i can't think of it now either sorry yeah but you just think about all these uh different methods that are used for like just searching the internet for example and how much how much of the world just goes straight to google or you think of or you like even look at deep mail clients that Yahoo Mail was probably one of the high, one of the more popular ones of its time. And now Gmail, I believe, is the biggest one out there now. Yeah, um, I have one of each. My first email was the Yahoo one, and now I use my Gmail um just to get things on different uh like on my laptop or my phone, just because it's a little more what's what I'm looking for here. Cohesive. I don't know. Words are hard. Manageable. Sorry, y'all. Yeah. I think, you know, people can hate Google all they want. They do harvest your data every day. But in terms of like business strategy, Google has done phenomenal. You know, not only did they have the Google search engine and Gmail, but they also made everything sync well together. You know, you can hop from your Google search engine right to your email, right to Google Docs, all that stuff. And it's all there readily available and easy to use so yeah and the way that like google like the google suite is so synchronous and all those things can be read within itself and it's free right because i mean i didn't use a lot of the microsoft stuff when i was in school because school didn't want to pay for it you know (laughs) um and to an extent i know schools now do have to pay for some aspects like google classroom and all that but I mean, that still is within recent years versus having that available to, you know, seventh grade Claire to write her essay on. Like, that's just different. Well, and the other nice thing with with the whole uh, Google aspect is if you have like a Word document, it'll automatically open it and read it and understand it. Where if you have a Google Doc and you're trying to open it like with Word, that whole seamless thing is not as likely going to happen. Mm-hmm. That's true. I should I guess I should have made it more clear. It's synchronous within all of 
all of Google's products. But yeah, you're right. When it comes to cross products, you know, Google Doc to Microsoft Word, it's a little iffy and it's always been iffy. I remember when, uh, I don't know when you guys were introduced to Google Docs, but I was actually introduced to Google Docs at a really young age. I was in elementary school when my school started using it. And I hated it. All of us hated it because it was it was messy. You know, it didn't sync well to Word. It, it just wasn't good. But yeah, I wrote my entire novel for one of my high school classes on Google Docs. And so now I'm so used to Google Docs that I actually kind of struggle with Word. Um, <laughs> like it's I don't know. Word bothers me. I don't like it. But on the other hand, I'm very partial to Excel over sheets. So I mean, <laughs> I feel like you were either learn, you either learned a lot of stuff on the Google platform or you learned a lot of stuff on the office platform. And you never really, you, you it was either one or the other and not much of both. And you think about how ubiquitous all of this stuff is um, like, uh, the Google Docs was definitely, it was either your school used the Chromebook model or, or you use the Microsoft model with a Windows laptop you were given. So it, I think it really depends a lot on what your school decided to do. I raise you this. We use Macs and struggle with everything. <laughs> That's, we normally use Google stuff. But actually, I took a bunch of engineering classes in high school and we had Mac laptops and we literally downloaded like Windows 10 on them so we could run stuff on them. Like you could like turn it on and off to make it run Windows instead of the Mac stuff. It was beautiful. Actually, it was a massive pain. Do not recommend that. But, but yeah, but you, you think about it, you're either, you either learn one platform or the other and it's not, you don't get this cross-pollination of all the different services out there. It, it's a really interesting thing to see, especially knowing some people who use Google Docs only, and then have uh, tried to do the switch over to the Microsoft suite of, they just don't understand that they don't have to, it, that their automatic save feature doesn't exist, where you actually do have to save stuff. Um, and just watching them experience the challenges of using Microsoft, the, of going from one platform to the other. How did we even get on this conversation? We're talking about Yahoo, Yahoo answers. answers. Yahoo answers. <laughs> Yahoo answers. Rabbit hole. Okay. Wow, we just had a long discussion about Google Docs of all things. <laughs> well, um, I mean, clearly we have opinions on Google Docs. I guess so. Microsoft Word. I mean, I could keep going, but I know the general public doesn't want to hear about <laughs> why I love Google Docs and hate Google Sheets and prefer Excel. So. So I know last week we were talking a lot about trains and Amtrak and all that. Well, the French have recently uh, has been proposed. I guess I have to look more into it. There are thoughts that they could ban um, flights under two and a half hours if there's an availability to travel by train. And I see that Ben in here, could the U.S. head in here, could the U.S. do the same thing? The French have done this model because they have got a very sophisticated network of train of high-speed rail that travels all around the country um, and this article that was written um, has said basically came out saying that only five flights would be effective where train service is not is longer than the two and a half hours so it's not 
a huge deal, but in the big picture, it's kind of a big deal. So, um, so they're basically trying to say that a train can carry more people compared to a three flights a day, whereas the time chain, the difference in time is negligible. Now, for the U.S., I don't see if we were to stay on the current infrastructure method we have. I don't see this happening at all, considering in order to get a flight under two and a half hours, you have to basically cut out security, and that's two hours right there. So it's really only as good for a half hour flight. So we basically, or we get high speed rail that makes it where the actual flight time itself is two and a half hours. And the only place that it could really work right now is on the Northeast corridor we talked about last week where they have the high speed rail because everything else is on slow speed. The other thing I don't think that this will work well in the US is just the way that the US is laid out. Just think about it. We can go from New York to LA on a flight in six hours and train, I think it's like 27, I believe. Don't quote me on that, but I, it's, it's we can fly a lot farther, and it's because I think U.S. is such a much larger country. You look at how big France is. France isn't that big of a country, okay? They can go from Paris to the south in like two and a half hours. Where can we go on a train from, let's just say, Minnesota in two and a half hours? Not many places. Yeah, I think yeah, not many. I think it'd be something to aim for, obviously, with potential infrastructure changes and maybe not the exact number of two and a half hours for flights. I was reading more on why Air France is switching some of those things. And it sounds like it's partially due to trying to get like a state loan, like a government loan. Um, they'll get money by adhering to lowering some emissions, but they need the money because of COVID because of all the flights that have since been canceled. Yeah, and so since they'd be cutting some of those longer flights, longer domestic flights, that would save them money and cut down their emissions. The thing, though, I don't see this working well in the U.S. is we have the Essential Air Service Program, which brings air service into uh, communities uh, that wouldn't normally have air service. Um, and the, the essential air service is a government subsidi subsidized uh, route that offered that is offered so that way air travel can uh, occur there. So for example, in Minnesota, Bemidji, Brainerd, uh, Chris Holm Hill, uh, Hibbing, International Falls, and Thief River all get air service because um, essential air service subsidizes that route so that way they can have air service. So if you were to say that we have to get rid of all flights under two and a half hours, this whole this whole pro program that's set to allow air service to be there would have to be retrofitted to allow trains to do it. And I don't see country, the, this country spending that much money to get trains sent to all these little little tiny cities all around the country i can't either I, I can't see the u.s doing it in anywhere except for you know the east coast or something west coast. Some, like uh for example that there the thief the thief river falls route uh uh so 
Key Lime Air, who operates the flights, got paid $3.9 million in year one to do the contract and $4 million a year to do the second contract. Now, that's also to subsidize what they get paid on their routes. But still, for a two-year contract, they, they, have, they, they had a guaranteed $7 million in payments just to, do, just to offer that service. And I believe they do it twice a day, uh, twice daily service. So you have to think that there's the government is giving the airlines money to operate these flights. Do you really think the government's going to put that money into a train track system to get a high speed rail to those cities? We're granted no. there may not be that many people in those cities anyway. Because Thief River Falls has a population of 8,000 people. Let's say we were put a high-speed rail line there that can hold 3,000 people. Is half the city of Thief River Falls want to go to Minneapolis at one time? Well, to be honest, I think a lot of those like small-town airports that are being subsidized, a lot of those flights are under the two-and-a-half-hour marks. Like, I guess... Like my hometown, I maybe they're subsidized, maybe they're not. But like, which which town? Is, which hometown are you from? I'm from Minot. <laughs> so uh, Minot is not on the list. Okay, because I was going to say so in with, uh, in North Dakota, the the three cities that are under it are Devils Lake, Dickinson, and Jamestown. Okay, yeah, see that would make sense. But even in Minot, like we we do flights to. Minneapolis, Denver, and sometimes we have stuff down to like the smaller Phoenix um, airport in Mesa. And technically we are international. So I know there is some stuff that goes up to Winnipeg, but I don't know how often that is. Anyway, point is flying out to Denver or flying to Minneapolis, the Minneapolis flight is quite literally almost under an hour. Like it's super short. Um, So like flights like that would stay, but for someone you know, flying from Minneapolis to Seattle or flying from Minneapolis to Atlanta, Orlando, wherever, that's where you're getting caught on the, you're getting hung up on the 2.5 hour mark that France is aiming for. But as we've made very clear, France is geographically very different. So it doesn't quite work for us. Yeah. And especially I think about it, that, that Seattle to Minneapolis route, you have to go over the Rocky Mountains and you have to basically cross the Continental Divide are the best trains in the in the world in, of the the normal trains can only go up a one percent grade so you have to go from sea level i think what is the continental divide at it's at six thousand two hundred and thirty nine feet and there's other mountain passes that you have to go so think about that you have to go from sea level to six thousand feet back down to eight hundred feet that's a big percentage grade that you have to go across to try and get a high-speed rail line in there. And those mm-hmm. can't go up a 1% grade. Because if you look at uh, Japan, for example, Japan's full of mountains. And what did they do? They cut a tunnel and bored straight through all the mountains just to their high-speed rail work. So, which again, that's not cheap either. So, do we see the U.S. doing this? I really doubt it. And it's mainly due to the fact that it just probably go, isn't going to work. And I don't think people are going to want to sit on a train where they can sit on an airplane and travel a much further distance in that same amount of time. 
<laughs> I can't see it happening either, Ben. I uh, I don't know. Europe is a whole different ball game than the U.S. I think there's a lot of you know things such as like healthcare that we try relating to Europe, and we just simply can't because we are different. We are much bigger, a lot more people. I don't know. It's harder to hard to make tough decisions like that when you have a much larger population to work with. Well, you also got to think we are a much larger country based, and we are heavily invested in the uh, in commercial airline travel than we are in rail travel. Oh, for like sure. In, in Europe, you go to a train station, you're probably going to see 20, 30, 30, 30 uh, station, uh, stops for a train to be there. Penn Station maybe has 10, I think. I, I'm... And that's, I think that's one of our bigger stations in the U.S. Um, what does it have? Penn Station in New York City has 11 platforms currently, unless I, they may be doing a, a bit of expansion, but think about that. 11 platforms. And uh, for context, uh, the London Waterloo station has 24 platforms. So we're trying, we're trying to, I think the hard part is we can't really compare the U.S. to Europe on the train level because we're just not, we don't have the same capabilities that they do. In your opinion, Ben, is that something the U.S. should strive, not necessarily to meet those same guidelines, but as we were talking about, you know, the whole uh, redoing some infrastructure stuff, do you think that should be prioritized in other areas beyond just the Northwest Corridor and, you know, the Eastern route? I don't know. I, I, I'd i be very curious to see what the whole country's interests are in, tra- in trains. If the country has no interest in taking a train ride, then why do we, why should we spend all this money on these trains if no one has the interest for it? Now, if there is an interest, maybe we say, okay, now we have a reason to do it. But if there's, if people are are more are, for example, they keep talking about the Los Angeles to Vegas route, and there are so many flights that run that route to begin with. If people are interested in a train that does, that isn't going isn't taking the same amount of time that a plane would, why wouldn't they just fly to Vegas? So I think that's going to be a very th- a very hard thing is the you. In order to figure out if the U.S. needs to have a rail service or more rail services, I should say, I think you really just need to find out from the youth, from the population, do they want rail and where would they want it to? Because if they're not interested in rail, then maybe we divert that money into different aspects rather than trying to have all of it spent on rail services that no one's really interested in. And supporting a train company that can't even make it, uh, that isn't that is not very profitable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no point in spreading your money out into too many areas if the general public is more concerned with one or two. So, what do you think, Mason? Um, I don't know, Ben. I, I honestly, as much as I'd like to see a booming train industry in the U.S., I just Unless there's some innovative stuff 
I know Japan has a really strong push for their bullet trains. Unless something like that happens in the U.S., I don't see it doing too well. Amtrak is dying. I don't know. So what you're saying is it doesn't look very likely. Not at all. In my opinion, not at all. I uh, I think it's out. I think trains are out in U.S. fashion. Maybe they'll come back. But, yeah, I don't see too bright of a future. Yeah, it, it definitely looks pretty bleak. Who knows, though? Maybe we'll make a super advanced nuclear-powered bullet train. <laughs> that just hit all the marks we talked about today. Yes, it did. That's enough of this train talk, huh? Let's kick it off to sports. Yeah, women's soccer, two losses against South Dakota. Both shut out, sadly. What's what's the record for women's soccer again? I don't know. I don't think we've done too well this year, but it's always next year. Didn't Barstool have posted something about soccer school the other day? Uh, I don't know. I think that up, shoot. Because I thought that was funny. Because <laughs> obviously we're not. I get that. But I didn't know if, yeah, if that was like a play-in game or something for tournament stuff. Women's soccer, we are five and nine, unfortunately. That's tough. You know, it could be worse, though. So keep working hard, ladies. Men's tennis, loss against Denver, two to five. Tough loss, but they'll come back. Women's tennis, no games, looks like. Softball, um, pretty split in the middle. Loss, one to two on 410. Same day, they won three zero. Next day, another win and a loss. You know, it definitely could be worse. Could have lost them all. So great job, ladies. Keep yeah, they've, they've been doing very well for a lot of doubleheader games. And what's the, the football situation? Any updates with that? I believe they still, they've got a game on the, on April 17th, they have a game. Okay. So that's this Saturday? That would be this Saturday against Youngtown State in Ohio. All right. Got that to look forward to. Well, thank you for tuning into the Dakota Student Podcast. Interesting day as always. Uh, we'll be back next week with some more news, updates, current events, whatnot. Hope you guys take care. Have a good day, week, night, whatever. Thanks again and see you soon. 